This story of the woman at the well is certainly one of the greatest stories that we hear from the Gospels of what happened during our Lord's earthly ministry. And it has so much to say to us and indeed to the whole world. Now, within this story, of course, we hear many times about thirst. And first of all, about a thirst for water, which is not too much of a surprise since it takes place at a well at Jacob's well, where our Lord is stopping on his journey and where there at noon, the middle of the day, he meets this woman of Samaria. And that they should both be there and that they would have this conversation is in a sense not too much of a surprise talking about their need for water because of course the woman needed water, Jesus, true man, needed water, We all need water. We know how much of a physical necessity that is for us. And yet, that is not the only thirst that is being spoken of in this account. For we see that this goes far deeper. And the water, the physical water, and our thirst for physical water becomes something that expresses our need for something deeper. The woman, we can tell from her story, has also been thirsting. And this is revealed perhaps especially at the point when our Lord Jesus asks her to come and bring her husband. And she says, I do not have a husband. And he says, you've spoken truly. You have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. And in this we see something of a thirst that she has had her whole life. She has had a thirst for love. And that's not unusual at all. Because the truth is that All of us have a thirst for love. And in her case, although being married five times is a little unusual, but nevertheless, we know she's not at all unusual in in her search for love, in having made wrong turns, in having made mistakes, in having fallen into sin, and along that way, in having been disappointed and mistreated and abused and rejected so many times. We can be sure in whatever twists and turns occurred in these marriages and her other dealings with men that she has come out pretty beaten and bruised. And so it's not too surprising that we notice that she seems to have become a little hardened and a little bitter. And yet, even if that's what's on the surface, that thirst for love isn't gone. And as she talks to our Lord Jesus, we see in her words that it begins to awaken And that hope that had been stomped down begins to rise up again at the possibility that this one she's talking to is completely different than every man she has ever known before. And that maybe she is going to receive that love that she wanted. And not merely the human love, but something that goes far, far greater. But if that is her thirst... There's also a thirst on the part of our Lord Jesus. We notice the disciples come back, having gone into town to bring food and urge him to eat. And he tells them, I have food of which you do not know. Which, of course, confuses them. The disciples get confused often when they're talking with Jesus, it seems. And he explains to them that he means he's doing the will of the Father and carrying out his plan. I think we could go still further to speak of what that plan is and therefore what his hunger is for, what his thirst is for. In this case, 
his thirst is for that woman that he was talking to. Not in the sense that he's going to devour her or use her, but rather that he loves her as his own creation, but one that has gone, gone wrong in a fallen world and that he wants to save, whose wounds he wants to heal, whose thirst he wants to satisfy, who he wants to remake and to make her fully into the blessed and glorious creature that he's always intended. So many centuries ago, St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is the human being fully alive. And to bring her to full life is what our Lord Jesus thirsts for. And not only for her, but for every one of us. And we notice that he speaks of how he's going to give her living water. There's a phrase that in, I think, various languages speaks of running water. But of course, he's not going to give just running water. He's going to give something far more profound. As he says, it will become a spring of life within you, welling up to eternal life. He will give her that water. And perhaps we think especially of when he was upon the cross and the lance pierced his sacred heart and outpoured blood and water. And that water would then be available to her in baptism. In fonts like this one, that living water would flow. And for her and for every one of us, he would then be able to wash us with water on the outside and wash us far more deeply on the inside to wash away all sin, original sin and all personal sin, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to unite us to himself, to adopt us as sons and daughters of God the Father, to join us as members of his own body, the church. All of this, all of this he would give to her. And he would indeed provide that living water for which she had been thirsting. It is what she was thirsting for. It is what every one of us is thirsting for. It's what everyone around us is thirsting for. And so on our own parts, of course probably most of us here have been baptized. But it's possible that having come to that living water, it's possible that we've walked away or that others we know have walked away. And still our Lord Jesus calls. You are thirsty. I still am the one who can satisfy that thirst. Still our Lord is thirsting himself for that love and for us to receive that blessing that he wants to give to us. So still we can return to him. No day is too late to return to him in confession and in prayer meditation upon the scriptures to come to him and to be satisfied in the way that he wants to satisfy us. And surely for those around us who are not even here today, perhaps have never known Jesus, think of what we can offer to them when we can introduce them to the one who can finally, truly, lovingly satisfy that thirst. Today in this Mass, Several who've been preparing for weeks and months and becoming to the first scrutiny. Now the word scrutiny implies a question and answer. And back in the early church, that may well have been the case. 
Today, the form of the scrutiny is not that I'll be asking them any questions. It's that during the reading of the gospel and the homily, and during the prayers that will follow, it is our Lord Jesus himself, through the inspired gospel, who has been searching their hearts so that he may draw out from there anything that is sick or sinful and heal it, may draw out anything that is good or strong and strengthen it still further as he prepares them to come in just under four weeks to the Easter Vigil when he will give them that living water and confirmation and himself in First Communion. So at this time, I invite the elect, together with your godparents, to come forward.